five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Years On Me podcast. I'm your host, Robson Scott, and today I've got a very special guest. Um, his name is Phil Hawker. Phil, how are you doing? I'm really good, Robson. Thanks for having me on today. Lovely to be here. Great, great. So, um, Phil, I guess, just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you're sort of coping with things at the moment and how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm, I'm 34 and uh, it's the weirdest year I've had in my entire life so far, as I'm sure it's the same with everyone. And because of what's happened this year, I, I lost my dad in April to the COVID-19 thing, to the coronavirus, which was a bad, bad start. And we kind of, you know, you get through it. It takes a very long time. I don't even know if I'm over it yet, but you've you've got to just keep going and I think that's the boat everyone's in and that's hopefully the mindset everyone's got that we've all got to get through it and you've got to be strong and you've got to push forward so hopefully it's coming to an end now and hopefully everything is getting better yeah that's great and um yeah I just want to say sorry about your dad and everything of course no uh, no no but um like it starts on a somber note we shouldn't have (laughs) um but I think like you say, that's a that's a great way of sort of um, of looking at things, and um, like I say, we're just gonna have to try and try and get through. But there is a few things that we've been working on this year and stuff that has sort of I guess um, kept us busy. And I know you're always always busy anyway. Um, and uh, I met you probably around this time last year, maybe just over a year ago. Um, so I think we'll we'll definitely get into that in a bit. But um, I think previous to that, uh, you've had you've from what I know, you've lived quite a quite an interesting life. Um, could you go back to sort of um, maybe your childhood and uh, what what you were sort of into as a kid and how that ended up leading into a career that now we happened in um, in theatre and in uh, drama? Yeah, definitely. So when I was young, we didn't. It's not like kids today. Uh, we yeah, we had like Sega Mega Drive stuff like that, but you know, playing games and stuff wasn't like a thing. You were you were out, it was more social, there was parties, there was discos, and all those kind of things that you went to, and uh, and at school, I wasn't an academic kid, I was really dyslexic, still am, and I wasn't bright in any way, so when I left my first school, which was called Newlands in Gosforth, it's now called Newcastle School for Boys, you had to take entrance exams to get into secondary schools, so the big ones where, where we were brought up were... RGS, Kings and Dame Allens, and I failed every exam flat, didn't get in. So in order for my to try and help, my dad actually bribed the headmaster <laughs> of Kings to get me in. And I turned up on my first day with like a big brown paper envelope and, uh, you know, gave it the headmaster. And it was like, oh, welcome to Kings, which is so corrupt looking back. <laughs> but it got me into... A good school at the coast and I realized then I had to concentrate a bit more and get a bit more focused on what I wanted to do and it was never going to be academic so I was quite sporty but it was never going to be a career for me but I was confident and I spoke well and I presented well and I kind of really got into drama and it was like I don't know what school was like at your school yeah. but being good at drama was like a geeky thing you weren't like it wasn't the cool it's, kids that were the ones that yeah, did drama. I mean, I was I was the in the sort of drama group at school. I mean, I did. Um, we had youth theatre, um, so I did that. 
uh, after school Tuesdays and Thursdays in year seven and eight um, and then uh, hit that stage in year nine, ten, eleven. I was playing football and stuff like that and uh, I was like, um, I'm not, I guess, too cool for it but I just kind of didn't want to to do it anymore for those sort of three years but then I went into year 10 and um, did GCSE drama and absolutely just loved it. It was always my passion. Um, I just love being on stage and stuff like that, I think, um, which doesn't run in my family at all, so I'm quite the sort of um, black sheep when it comes to that. But um, yeah, so then when I got into sixth form again, I got back into it and um, ended up meeting like the sort of best group of friends from doing it. Because um, I think as much as they're sort of not classed as the kind of cool kids, to me they were still like the most interesting kids and we definitely knew how to sort of party. Um, so yeah, so I ended up playing Ren and Footloose um, in year 12 and then played Kanicki in Greece, which is actually a role I played when I was in year 6 as well. Um, I played Kanicki in Greece. Um, but yeah, so I've done, uh, I did those two. Um, and performing arts in year 12 and 13 was a complete ball ache like it was so much like coursework and stuff and not as much performing which is why I ended up not doing it at university and ended up going down the media path instead um, which is something we'll come on to but um you had the sort of different route and you did go and do that at uh, university just could you just sort of tell me a bit about that yeah well yes yeah, so it just it was always a phrase and it was like if you're going to be an, an actor you, you can't be an accountant which basically means there's no like play by numbers there's no strict thing if you want to do it do anything you've got to just get your, your balls out there and just do it yes, you don't you can't fuck it back there's no when you're in the arts if you're making a film or you're doing stand-up or you want to act there's no paint by numbers route it's different for everyone and if you really want to do it you just gotta do it this this is one of the things with me i think is that um i know for a fact that if i go in if I take the easy route now and just go, oh, it's fine, I need some money, I'm just going to go get a job, it's fine, I'll, I'll not be in it that yeah, long. Yeah, you'll be doing that job forever. I, I will be doing that job forever because I don't, if I, as soon as I get comfortable in something, that that's it. Um, yeah, it happened to me. And it happened to like everyone, you know, everyone. It happened to like 95% of the people on my course. And I guess that day, when I'd gone in after doing the stand up, I felt like a, I felt like a gladiator. I felt mm. above my peers because the acting teacher stops and goes, "Hey, everyone, just want you to know this guy. This guy. <laughs> look at the balls on this guy. This fucking guy right here went and did stand up with no material, wasn't even prepared, and he was the usher. That's what you've got to do. That's where where it's at. And yeah, man, no accountants here. Yeah. Move aside, balls <laughs> of steel. And then yeah, by the next week. He's absolutely tearing you down again, yeah. saying, no, no, that was terrible. Do it again, do it again. So, um, uh, yeah. What were... I guess uh, what I was going to move on to, do you want to kind of name drop anyone who was on your course and yeah. who you kind of yeah, rubbed yeah, yeah, shoulders yeah. with? So, uh, you, anyone that's in drama school now, if you're listening to this, or anyone that's listening to this thinking, how do I get into the... Because back then, if I'm dead honest, this was like 2005 to 2008, Reality TV, like, yeah, Big Brother was on, but it's nowhere near what it was then. There wasn't, like, Jordy Shaw or Love Island or, you know, people couldn't make a career out of just being a reality star. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to be famous and on TV, you had to be an actor and you got jobs in films or theatre or TV soaps and that's that was the route. 
It's not just that I wanted to be famous. Yeah, I want to be famous. Mm-hmm. I don't, most extroverts, I'd imagine, want to be famous and well-known. I wanted to do it because I loved the craft and I loved the creative output that was there. And when you get in, all you and everyone in your year is essentially buying a lottery ticket to say, when we get into our third year and we do our showcase and we do our plays, some agent, some faceless agent will come along from ICM or William Morris or United Agents and say like, yeah, that one. Like, I want that boy or that girl. And they put you up for the roles to get into those movies. You know, they'll introduce you to the directors, to everything. So when you're in third year, first year, second year, everyone's the same. You've all been in the trenches. You're plugging it out together. When you get to third year, you start to think, oh, actually, that guy having abs is a real advantage mm-hmm. or that girl who's really gorgeous has got one up everyone's talented you've got there because you're good mm. but when you get to third year you start to see the differences so in in my year there was a boy good looking guy i'd still call him a good friend though like anything he's had such a meteoric rise to success i haven't seen kate for a long time mm-hmm. so the guy i'm referring to is called kit harrington who straight from our final year we did one play in our first term and Kit, more or less right off the bat, got signed by an agent called Dallas Smith, who is still and is one of the largest agents, best agents in the business. And within a month, Kit had the lead role at the National Theatre playing Albert in War Horse, which is the show that they later turned into a movie about mm. the yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg one. So he was the first one that did that and... Could you tell that that was always going to happen? Did he always nah. have that thing? Like, no, not at all. Like, Kit, Kit is obviously, you know, good-looking guy. You, you live, live, live with him, right? Oh, great, yeah, great friend. But I think the thing with Kit is, which makes it palpable, he wasn't necessarily hungry for the success that he got. He wasn't yeah. like, he didn't have ambition dripping from his fans. Kit liked to go out, liked to party, liked to drink. And yeah, we all took it seriously. But being world famous and a multi-millionaire wasn't on his agenda he was like no i just love doing this so when kit hit that enormous so then from warhorse he then got a part immediately in game of thrones before we had all graduated or that year so by the year we were all getting out there into the industry you know being like spear carrier number three for the sheffield playhouse Kit was on HBO. I mean, yeah. the jump was so huge compared to what we had done. Uh, and and look, Kit wasn't the only success. There was Luke Norris, who at the time was like writing his own plays, and we as friends were performing them for him. He had a show that went to Edinburgh that he asked me to go on, and I didn't do it because it was unpaid, and I thought it was above me. I was such a knob. Now Luke has had great plays on at the world court he's in pole dark himself is the doctor who that's the character he plays uh my best one of my best friends neat is now on casualty he's got a baby with a lady called amber who's in the netflix show the punisher you know it's a very small world that people in the year above you have gone on to do great things people in the year below you you now see them on tv and because there's maybe four drama schools with 20 people in each year you get to know each other and everyone's that's how everyone's connected. And is it like that? Is it very sort of like um, close together? Because I mean, um, and I'm sure there probably will be and probably was, not like you have to mention any names, but I know at times like 
one minute you can be like sort of best friends with everyone and the next minute everything's really sort of bitchy and it's all kicking off kind of thing. Yeah, like, and I guess, you know, that's it's natural for that to happen. I don't think it ever got to that level in our final year. Um, I think that... So, like, for instance, there's a kid called Ben Aldridge who was in our year at Lambda who was great friends with Luke and he performed in some of Luke's plays. I had loads of nights out with Ben. Ben is now... Have you seen the first season of Fleabag? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ben was like the good-looking guy. Oh, really? Who did her up the arse and the uh, first thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, an example of just... He was just another actor from another drama school who, because you're all going through it together, you get to know. Um, so, yeah, there was all that. Like, so, like Freddie Fox was in my year, it, but he was at Guildhall. So I didn't know Freddie Fox, but Neat had worked with him at a... Like, another... Or maybe his girlfriend, Amber, worked with Freddie Fox on a production... So then, like, you go for dinner at the South Bank, and then, obviously, he was there in the group. So you get talking. So it's a small, small world. I think this sounds like a good reality show in itself. Like, just yeah. if you follow the drama kids around uh, London, get well, them if you, the hook. if you think about it, really, kids that are in drama school, like, today, I don't know who they are, but say within those four schools, and there's, say, 20 kids in each year, so there's 80 kids, three of them, I don't know who, from which schools will become film stars. Yeah. Or it might miss out that year completely and then 10 the next year mm -hmm. are film stars, TV stars, whatever. And that's where it goes. And the others are turn out just like me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great film producers. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. That's the plan, isn't it? So, so bringing all that forward, I did not become Brad Pitt or Kit Harrington. <laughs> I uh, I got an agent and did loads and loads of really terrible auditions. I, I did a, a T-Mobile advert that <laughs> the criteria was, and this is how desperate you get, because living in London is so expensive. Yeah. And you get put up for a role. And it was like, so on this particular occasion, it was for a T-Mobile advert. And it was said, Irish actors only. And I thought, fuck it, I can do an Irish accent. It'll be fine, I'll just tell them I'm Irish. <laughs> so went along, and you go, and then you get put in a room with loads of kids that look like you, but they're really Irish. So there's like a ginger kid who's called Porrick, or <laughs> Seamus, or Shaughnessy, or I'm McGuinness this. And you're like, oh my God. Like, So you go in, and obviously I'm faking the accent, which I'm not going to do now. And they're like, so what part of Ireland did you say you're from there? Uh -huh. I was like, oh, uh, no, I'm Dublin. Uh -huh. Dublin, true and true. Like, What's your name? So then you say Phil Harker, which doesn't really sound like an Irish name. And the whole thing was so embarrassing. I knew then that, like, I'm not cut out for this level of rejection or putting myself up for this. There was another audition I got as well, straight out of drama school. It was for a company called the Young Shakespeare Company which was a TIE company, which means Theatre in Education. Mm -hmm. I auditioned, I got the part, and they said, that's absolutely great, Phil. We're going to be doing a three-month tour of schools in Devon, doing like Taming of the Shoe, Romeo and Juliet, and Titus Andronicus, or whatever was on the syllabus that year at those schools. You're going to be doing this part, this part, and this part. You get 500 quid a week. And I was so stuck at my own arse, I thought, or wanted to believe, no, I'm better than this. I'm not going to do Theatre in Education didn't take the job and then at the time I then went on a family holiday to like Port Banus and uh, met a girl and uh, my dad had said look we're not doing too well with the business come back work in the business so I ended up going out with that girl for like two years and helped my dad in the business and that was basically 
the end to a greater or lesser extent. I did little bits of shit parts that you'd go down for. I did little bits at the Globe, as in like two episodes of Tracy Beaker. Uh, Tracy Beaker. I don't yeah, know that. I was I'll definitely Tracy <laughs> Beaker, and then I did like one episode of Vera. No, oh no, I did like a film. I had one line that was cut in that film, United. United I, told you yeah. about. I remember watching that like when it was on BBC at the time. So the fact that you were in that and you actually got you're actually in it, you can see it. And stuff in yeah, it. So yeah, it was yeah. like a fish, like yeah, a headshot. It's, of a, it, it's a, yeah, it's a close up for ten seconds, but I mean for three years of your life, it was a fall from grace. It was fucking <laughs> yeah. shit. Oh dear. But yeah, you get to work with those. You yeah. know, David Tennant was in that. He was really good. Sam Claflin was in that, and they're all nice. They're all good, and they're all where they're at because they're good. No one can get to a certain level of success like Kate or whatever, and he might get some bad press. No one gets there without being good. You can't be a fraud. Like people go like, "Oh, Orlando Bloom. Oh, he's shit. He's shit." Yeah, it's easy to watch <laughs> because you see him in a movie and you think, "Oh, well, maybe." Johnny Depp's better. That doesn't make Orlando Bloom yeah, yeah. bad. Yeah. You've got to be a of strong course. motherfucker to get to where he's got to. You can't be weak. You're... And and I was weak. I gave up too quick, or I didn't want to put my life on hold to to get that. If you're a film star, you know you've got it. No D- one gets there overnight. Disney come at you and say you want do you want to be yeah. paid millions of pounds to star you... alongside Johnny Depp. You're yeah. not going to say no regardless of your level yeah. of acting. Like so. your level of acting or the script that you've got or you know yeah you're going to do it. So yeah, that's that's the way that goes. So I guess so you so when did the sort of stand up come into it? If that was a, so, so yeah, so I come back to Newcastle and I was working in my dad's shop and I was depressed as fuck. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're not supposed to really uh, say these things. No, that's fine. We've all been through it. I was low. I felt terrible. And then I thought, God, how can I still get myself on stage? How can I get through this? And then I had that light bulb moment of thinking, oh, hang on. In first year, I did stand-up. I hadn't prepared. I'll do stand-up. The route to stand-up in the north of the country. So I'm talking like now uh, Manchester, Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Liverpool, Leeds are very accessible and there's lots of comedy clubs from like the old working men's club circuit it was really yeah, yeah. the being an entertainer in the north meant that's what you did and that was still there so i think right well okay that's how i get myself on stage i'll get my break that way from this part of the country i can't afford to live in london and do it i'll come home i'll do it that way so then i started doing stand-up and i did stand-up for about a year and a half and yeah, I was pretty bad at that too. I mean, like, it's like with anything, when you start, you have to learn the ropes. So yeah. again, you go out and you do, in uh, in Manchester, and in the time Preston, there was a comedy store called The Frog and Bucket. Pretty sure it's still there. There mm-hmm. was the comedy store in Manchester. And that's where I did my first gig. And there was a night called Beat the Frog. And you basically went along and you had to survive. It was a gong show. You had mm-hmm. to survive five minutes where you went out, did your material for five minutes. If you were crap, the audience got given three cards that had a frog on, just to random members of the audience. And if you were bad, one person would put their card up as to say, like, get him off. Then the second and the third. If it got to the third inside your five minutes, they played like this little tune. They went like, (laughs) and then the music played. And then the MC came back on like, yeah, bad luck. You weren't good enough. Bad luck next time. So I'd driven all the way from Newcastle with my mate to Preston to do it. 
And I thought, I'm definitely doing it away from Newcastle. Yeah. The first time you want to do stand-up, you want to do where there is no yeah. one you know. As far away as possible. Because yeah. you think, if I bomb, which is a high likelihood on your first time, I don't want all my pals to be there to watch this of shit. Because it's yeah. embarrassing. So anyway, the guy who went on before me went on, and I remember it so clearly. He went like, hello everyone, I'm, uh, I'm from Birmingham. Anyone from <laughs> Birmingham, give me a shout. Three cars. I thought like, oh no, I've driven all the way from Newcastle. What a, I can't drive three hours to get here. And Took you in your mouth in that poor, poor guy. So anyway, I went on. I did it. I did the five minutes of my material. I got into the final that night, which was basically you all, all the people that survived five minutes, say there's like 10 people on, three of you survive, which was the case of mine. You all go on stage and then you get a clap off for like who was best. If you get the clap off, you're invited back to do 10 minutes on a weekend show. That's how that worked. So there's progression to it. I did it. I got in the final. I didn't win the night. I can't remember who did. Um, but I went back and I did win. I can't remember when it was. And then I did get a weekend spot. And then it grew from there. So then I did the same in the comedy store in Manchester. And then I got a spot there. And then you start to meet other comedians. And again, it's a really small world. And they say, oh, you should do this one or go there. Or Silky has a gig in Leeds. And, you know, go to the stand in Edinburgh because the stand in Newcastle wasn't open. Yeah, yeah. And then so you write into them. Then you stay there. Then you do the Glasgow one. And then I started to get a bit of momentum. And it got better. And because there wasn't much in Newcastle, my friend Harry had a bar called Bar Pacific. So me and Harry created the Pacific Gong Show. So I think that ran for maybe a, maybe six months, maybe a year, I don't know. Is that the Pacific, just off Northumberland Street? Just off Northumberland yeah, Street. Yeah. So I'd, I emceed it, and then we got the act on. Oh no, there was a guy, there was another guy called Tony Jameson, who, he had a night, so I did some bits with him, and then he emceed a few. So stand-up grew from there, and it, it basically culminated for me getting to the Fringe. I got to Edinburgh, and I did like four or five nights, not with my own show, I was just guesting at other people's shows and the big bit was there was one bill which was Joel Domit was on the Banshee Labyrinth so I I, I was on before Joel Domit who's now yeah, quite yeah. successful and then the next one which again was purely by fluke was must have been the Gilded Balloon it was someone else's show I went on and then after me came Jack Whitehall <laughs> which was like the warm-up to his actual show he was doing. So I kind of warmed the crowd up for him. And he was very good. He was very good. He what was you, a lot better than I was. What year was that? Was that sort of around the time he did the Nando's sort of uh, sketch? I don't know if you've seen that. No, I, he didn't do that. It was like, I think his big joke was like, he was talking about mixing red wine with a fish dish. And, you know, like... Oh, pr- posh stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Jack like, stuff. Well, you yeah. never put red wine with a fish dish. Was yeah. kind of guy. But I think that was like 2010, 2011, yeah. I think, at this point. It probably is around a sort of similar time. I always remember like one of his first things, I think it was one of the things that blew him up, was he did a thing about taking a girl on a date to Nando's. Right, okay. And that was like his sort of, that was the first thing I'd like, I think, ever really heard of him. Um, and then obviously he was on League of the Own and stuff like that, and it all went up. So then how did how did that end, really? was like the same I just kind of what you saw so like people so the time I started was like Chris Ramsey Jack Whitehall 
there's a guy called Kai Humphreys who's from Cramlington yeah. who, who he gave me a gig at his thing called Punch Drunk, I think it was called. Well, that's interesting you said that because I was going to refer to that before because uh, me and uh, Aaron went to Punch Drunk at um, Shank House because Ben Crompton was on. Right. Cool. He was obviously was in Game of Thrones with um, yeah, yeah. with Kitten throughout the entire thing. So I think that's like kind of the reverse for him. He was yeah, yeah. on this HBO show and was, had quite a leading role by the end of it. Obviously got killed in the final season. Spoilers. <laughs> Um, and then um, ended up doing a gig in Shank House in Cramlington, which is like yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of mad to me. But he's but, from here. But he was like the like literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. And uh, yeah, yeah. we, Aaron was sort of too scared to go and get a photo uh, with him, so I was kind of talking to him. So he spent the whole night just sort of like winding her up, kind of walking behind our seat with like yeah. and like purposely bumping into her and stuff at the bar. It was it was really funny. Um, and that was he was good as well. Um, so yeah, Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk's quite good. Well, just so all of those guys I mentioned, and I don't know when he'll have been doing it, but yeah, the the Jack Whitehall, the Chris Ramsey, the Kai Humphries, they all had progression and they all moved on mm. to something and you saw them getting like TV spots and gigs and or Joel Domit, who I did, there was a gig in London I did, me and him were on the same bill and then you saw him, you know, getting better and you thought, well, look, these guys are progressing for a reason yeah. that they are obviously better than I am and yeah you do the same gigs you're on the same bill it feels like you're getting the same laughs but there's a reason that they're on after you yeah and I was to that I was like the beginning to maybe middle bill who never graduated to think but I mean I did it for like two years had I stuck at it maybe the good yeah. thing about stand-up is as well you're never far away from it yeah you I can, can go with you tonight yeah write a routine now Go up and do it, and you can do it, and that's the best thing about it. Yeah. So as much as I haven't done it in a long time, I'm not retired well, from it either. I you think can do it. That's a really interesting point, actually, because um, with other things, sort of like acting as probably as virtually like impossible to get back into. I guess even filmmaking is quite hard once you've kind of lost some connections from uni. If you try something else and going back into it, it'll be pretty hard. But stand up's like he has so many. Like Ricky Gervais didn't get his break until he was in his early forties. Um, John Bishop, I think, was similar and stuff. So it, sometimes you do get older and end up going back into yeah. it. I think, and that's uh, it's interesting. I know we once did speak about doing it. Um, we'll both write something and go do something. Got to do it, man. So we got it. And it's just you know what? It's just such a buzz. And if anyone's listening to this, thinking like, "Oh, I've always wanted to be an actor. I always want to do this." Like, try stand up. See where your balls are. If you can write your own monologue, which effectively it is speech. Yeah and get up and perform it, you are then an actor. You are a comedian. If you can do that, that's good enough. It also leads to a lot more things. When you think about Jack Whitehall, he was a stand-up who ended up getting bad education, which is like yeah. a TV show. Which he became is, a writer like, who became yeah. an actor. If you can do stand-up, you can do it all. Yeah. It, it is that. It, it's definitely that. Yeah. So, mm. so, so leading on from that, which yeah. I guess is going to be your next question, is mm. how we met. Yeah. Oh, so, let's stop. He read my mind. So, um... I mean, you started a, a shoe company with your good friend. Yeah. Um, and then you needed some photos of that. My dad became a photographer around probably been in about a year by the time he met you. Um, how did how did you meet my dad in the end? So Was yeah, so basically, Alice, I guess it's, so. yeah, just from constantly failing at what I wanted, <laughs> I got to the point where I thought, okay, well, acting didn't work, stand up didn't work, or well, not didn't work, but they're not making a success. So then I opened my own 
shops, which were under yeah. what my dad's name was. I was doing that. And then they were going okay, but it needed something else to boost the sales. So we said, right, well, is there something I can put in the window or whatever that's going to boost the sales of those shops, which were like alteration shops? I've still got them. Still I've got going. it for you. Face masks. That would, yeah, have, yeah. That would have been the yeah, shout. No, no, no. <laughs> still making them, making our face masks. So at the time, then we said, my, my friend had a business doing commercial kitchens. So we said, look, let's sell shoes. So we started selling shoes and it was unbelievable when we started because you could go away for a weekend or somewhere and turn up with a van with all your shoes to like a, an event you know like a Goodwood Revival Racetrack or Burley Horse Trials and then you'd come back with like 10 grand after the weekend yeah. and you think holy shit like why have I not been doing this every weekend this is fantastic so we did loads to the point where we then started to get our own range of shoes made and I got introduced to your dad by a guy called James Bell. Oh, who, James, of course. Yeah. Who's got his own housing business and your dad would take pictures of the houses he built. So we said, yeah, would you take pictures of our shoes? So then on like a night out where there was me, James Bell, Dodsey, who I did the shoes with, your dad, Ellis Nicholson, and then you. And I remember seeing you thinking like, who the fuck is that kid? Like he looks like he should be in... A rock band, a pop band. He didn't look like anyone I'd seen in ages. So I remember I'd kind of like sidled up next to you and said, oh, what, what is it you do? And what do you do? And then you'd said film. And then I kind of piqued my interest because I thought, oh, could could this be the link that I've always looked for to get back into acting or stand-up or whatever it was where someone would be pay some attention. And then you started telling me about a project that you were working on about the reselling of of resellers of high-end trainers and I was totally captivated and I remember thinking that this kid is brilliant he's bright totally happy to dress out there and have people <laughs> look at him and uh, and that's how our friendship started that day yeah. I think and how you were wrong <laughs> no, no, no no how right I was um, how right I was but yeah so I mean just sort of going on to that I guess I think I remember I'd, I'd obviously come up with this idea fairly, fairly recently to when I met you because you, you basically got told at the end of second year, come to third year with your dissertation idea. And everyone wanted to do a, um, a drama, pretty much. And, like, I mean, throughout the entire area of film school, um, I always wanted to do documentary. It was always my biggest interest. Whereas, like, people would talk about their favourite films and it would be like something maybe obscure that I'd like never heard of. Whenever I started talking about documentaries, it was similar to them because I, that was where my interest was not so much in sort of, um, sort of narrative films, but in, in documentary. So, um, I had that, um, moment where I would always go sort of sign up for these shoes and stuff, um, which is like a raffle. And then I once won one, um, and went uh, to a shop. You basically win the chance to to buy these shoes. So I went in and I paid £200 for them and got mobbed when I walked out of the shop and someone basically threw 800 quid my way and was like, oh, I'll buy them off you. And I was like, yeah, no-brainer. So I, I walked into a shop and within five minutes I'd made 600 quid and I was like, okay, this is exactly what, like, what is this culture? This is exactly what I want to do my documentary on. Um, and that was probably about... Um, three weeks or something before I met you so in that time I'd sort of developed this teeny tiny idea for a, a kind of short 
based around that little experience, which I then kind of, I guess you could say, pitch to you, which is, um, I obviously must have some skills in pitching if I sort no, of told I, that to you. you. You sold the idea like exactly what it is. It's a fascinating thing. It's a subculture that people don't know about, that there's a whole movement of younger teenagers who are making thousands and thousands of pounds reselling trainers that you I I vaguely knew about because my, my cousin's kids did it so that's how we got talking about it and I think within about a week was it maybe a week it was pretty much I think I text you back saying would you let would you let me be involved yeah of course and then it was like from there I remember when you messaged me I think that was the Saturday beforehand so then there was a week and then the Monday um I was literally sat waiting because my lecture I was late to have my first dissertation meeting um so you sent that that message probably about two minutes before I was about to pitch it to my lecturer um so I was like oh okay so I then had to sort of go in and basically obviously I was like totally open with him I was like okay I've got this idea but it's now gonna have to be sort of two films because um I think I'm gonna turn the initial idea into sort of more of a, um, a feature but I still want to focus on maybe the sort of Newcastle side of it or one aspect for it for my dissertation so we, I spoke to him about it and, and we agreed um and then I think I met you the sort of day after and we had like these massive amount of notes I think I'd stayed up like yeah. till four in the morning writing out oh what about this and then we're going to attack from this angle and yeah. let's speak to this person and I knew some people that have now ended up in the documentary, unbelievably. Yeah. And uh, it, it, the way when you think about that initial idea that we had to what it is now is it's so far different to what the initial idea yeah. was. We were going to talk about the sort of how it's so much like the drug uh, dealing business Jesus, in a way. Yeah, we did, didn't we? And we spoke like about that. Freeway Rick Ross yeah. and selling on streets. And that was kind of the angle we were going to go from. And then we kind of, I'd met, a lad called Charlie who's in the documentary um, and I'd basically gone on a Saturday when I knew there was a drop and I was like right okay this is my this is my kind of thing much kind of like you did that thing with stand up and you went right just okay. turn up just, I just kind of turned up and there was one guy standing about massive supreme jacket on hair parted and stuff and I was like okay right he's definitely involved in he's this he's someone to talk to so I went up to him just basically said like listen I'm making a film for you could you fancy to sort of like can I get some shots of you and stuff? So then I got talking to him and stuff and then I just found it really, really interesting and that day ended up being a bit of a, a flop. The shoes didn't actually drop until later on in the day and stuff and everything, there was just some sort of, um, I don't know, error on the end of the store's part so that it, it ended up being later on in the day so I actually missed it. It started chucking it down with rain and I wasn't about to stand around in the rain waiting for it. So, um so yeah, so then from there, I ended up getting a little bit of footage and then we went and filmed a bit on Black Friday, I remember last year, which was just mental, which it certainly probably won't be this year. Um, yeah, and then from there, obviously we had, we've done many interviews. We've, we, we came back, so I yeah. came then when you'd made the friendship with Charlie, we came back and we filmed a bit more with Charlie. Yeah. We got good stuff with him, then we got him around to my flat and then then it turned into like a bit of a who do you know game yeah and he told us good people to know who we reached out to and got them and then there was joe franklin who's in the documentary yeah. there the research I aspect think... that we went into to try and was was literally just right instagram shoes yeah. he was big this lad had been on bbc and we're like well who's who's he we'd who's... seen him in the paper yeah and then found him on instagram and i sent him a message saying we're doing a documentary do you want to be in 
And then he wrote back and he was like, yeah, I want to be in. And then it kind of grew from there. And then he didn't really introduce us to anyone else, did he? It, no. It started and stopped with him. And then the other ones, Charlie, James, Michael, they all introduced us to each other. You know, yeah, like, they all know oh, each speak other. to him, speak yeah. to him. Um, and it is that sort of culture in... Obviously, because we live in Newcastle, it's not a big deal that it's Newcastle and it feels a bit really close to home for us. And it's kind of like, oh, we need to put other things in because we're from Newcastle. But I guess, like, the culture is so big here because, like, End opened here and they were, like, the first people who kind of did all this sort of raffle stuff in this country, especially, I think. Um, so that culture really could was kind of birthed here around London and stuff. And then it's obviously grown massively and it's now all over the, like, all over the country. But um, a lot of the people from here got into it because of that. Um, and then JD, obviously, the massive one that we've got as well. Um, but that going down to London and interviewing someone in this, like, store who's been, like, with loads of sort of hip-hop artists and grime artists that, that we know about... Um, was he, a really he was so, the biggest one. Yeah, like, he was... Found. That was, like, a surreal kind of moment for me to just kind of go there and into this thing. And it was like, okay, this is really, like actually something now um i remember i we drove down and i don't think you'd even been into shoreditch i'd never no i'd never and, even been to london really i'd been to central london twice with erin which is only like last year other than that i'd literally basically never left newcastle yeah and then i remember your face it was like the back of your head blew off you got into shoreditch and you, looked, and you were in awe you were like this is it yeah, this is what happens yeah i want to be here i love it here this is brilliant it, it really was like, was like it that, was exciting um the, mm. the fact that you kind of lived there or like around there and stuff like that and had been there so much and to you it was just kind of like oh yeah it's just like that's a good place to go that's a nice hotel if you want to stay anywhere and to me it was like this completely sort of different world and it was so um i mean like not even a dig at newcastle but it was just so multicultural everyone wore what they wanted to wear everyone everywhere you looked it was like oh he's cool he's cool that's cool cool. and i mean when i've mentioned this to like other people they're like oh yeah shortage is full of a bunch of pricks they're all at their own house they're all like sort of proper like love themselves i'm just gonna go back and have a coffee in Usburn. yeah Yeah, and i'm like that's exactly that's me that's where i want to go like (laughs) i'd I'd fit in quite well there so when i seen all that and stuff i was just like that absolutely blew my mind and then obviously talking to to joe and stuff and he was like oh yeah, I mean, Harry Styles lives like a couple of doors down from me where he lives and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah, we see him about in the street and then just talking about like loads of different things, the amount of things we had in common, but had were from like two completely different worlds. Um, was was just mad. And obviously like, I think you can really tell like from the amount of stuff we got that day and that you'll see in the documentary is just how, I mean, it does kind of even seem like a different world when you when we mm-hmm. film the stuff in Newcastle, you see like, that street, um, like Grey Street, no, it's not Grey Street, it's like next to Monument. Um, and and it's all kind of just similar to us, but when you see like all the graffiti in Shoreditch and all the different, like, even his shop, it's just so like surreal and cool, especially to me. So like, I think that's something that, um, what I'm envious that you lived down in London for a bit and did that drama school sort of um, whole thing. But too now I just kind of want to get out there and, I guess it's similar to like I went from I went I seen that and I came back and it was all I talked about for a week and then I went to Berlin in February and experienced that and then haven't stopped talking about it since. <laughs> and I think it's just this I've, I haven't really visited anywhere up until the age of twenty two and now I've had been to a few places and I've been like oh my god there's so much to the world and then 
it went, no, you can't go anywhere now. You're going to stay in the house for the next six months. It was, uh, it was really tough. But um, the documentary, how are you feeling about it? How, like, now obviously we're coming to the sort of, I guess, end of the edit and stuff like that and hopefully trying to, to get it out there for everyone to see. What What is your sort of, like, fortnight? How's the process been for you? Yeah, like, well, I think the big takeaway, and hopefully anyone that is listening to this, their big takeaway from this is that if there's anything that you want to do, anything... Just do it. There's no one stopping you. There's no one holding you back. It's You're only holding yourself back. And when we started this and you and I had our first discussions, you'd never made a feature documentary. I'd never no, made a feature no. documentary. And you just got to be... You just got to be bold. You just got to be brave. And then actually when you're doing that, you realize, well, actually everyone else that's doing this is the doing same. the same thing. Everyone's trying to work it out. And you've just got to do it. And... Uh, we haven't even done it yet. No. I mean, we're, we're, we're nearing completion, but... Yeah, it's still good to go on forever with things that we can do and stuff. And like. And I think that's it. And I think that after... I'm really proud of the documentary. I know you're really proud, so of, it. proud of it. There's definitely little tweaks we need to do, but I guess the biggest feedback we're going to have is when people watch it and tell us if it's good or not. And that comes down to anyone listening. If we, we want you to try and watch it, it's not yet ready for distribution. We're tweaking it. But... Go and have a little look at... We've got an Instagram page. Yep. Um, Go and have a look at the Instagram. Have a look at the trailer. Have a look at the pictures. Let us know what you think. I think it's as well, like, there's just a, like a couple of things from the sort of film school point. Now I'm going to go into this further and, like, a, um, another podcast probably coming tomorrow. Um, is that... I remember one of my lecturers said, if someone offers you a pound to make a film, make the film. If someone offers you five pound to make a film, make a five pound film kind yeah. of thing. And when you came with that opportunity and said let's make a film I thought well what, I'm not doing anything else this is obviously what I want to do and this is what I want to make a career out of yes let's make, it. let's make it let's do it and then another thing is sort of like to quote Tarantino loosely he said that um, he was spend he was living it um, working in a uh, sort of video store I guess it was probably Blockbuster at the time and made a film and it took him three years and um, which I hope this doesn't happen in the documentary and I'm sure it won't but he was like he made this film and spent three years on making it got all the footage back and stuff and and cut it all together hated it and it never seen the light of day but he said you can't learn anything um, like in film school that you'll learn from just going out and actually making your sort of first feature in yeah. order to kind of do it you, um, you just kind of need to need to make just go out and make it and just go out and do things which is kind of what what we've done this year and hopefully it will sort of stem and lead on to like many other things for the both of us and obviously every show will we'll work together a lot in the future as well um but it's been a great experience well on that note yeah. and i don't know if this is a good place to leave it no it's but not. an audio book it's a, a quote of a guy called zig ziglar right and this actually sums it up perfectly what we're saying definitely you don't have to be great to start but you do have to start to be great. I think that's like literally perfect. the perfect way to kind of end it. I mean, me and you are both at the sort of start of their careers in the sort of film industry. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've just graduated this year, despite not having a graduation. And I do think that, and I think this is true for a lot of people, especially my age, is that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be great straight away. And not don't kind of realise it's a process. People sort of get to the age of 23, 24 and think, oh, my life's over. Yeah. I'm a failure kind of started. thing. It, and yeah, really, it, it kind of hasn't started. And 
just try a lot of things. Like I've tried a lot of, of like photography at the moment. I've started this podcast because I wanted to, to do something creative I've, and I've, I've done it. Um, and I think that is, if I have to take anything out of this year, despite it being such a kind of negative year, is that I've, I've done these things. We started this documentary on like the second day of January this yeah. year and it's now at completion now. Bearing in mind we've worked with like as a, a team of three mainly we've had other people help which i'm obviously very thankful for but three thank you yeah um <laughs> but but uh there's me you and and jack davison shout out to jack um big shout out jack man <laughs> we've we've basically done majority of it 90 percent of it all um on our own which is kind of unheard of in the film industry you normally have a massive yeah. team of people so i think we need to be very sort of proud of ourselves and realize it's a good sort of process it's an incredible starting point and what we've got is incredible considering everything that's happened this year and everything that we've all sort of been through um so yeah i mean i've had a bit of an up and down week and mentally but um just sort of meeting up with you today and obviously doing this and hearing all about um what what you sort of got up to in, in your younger years and and sort of working on the documentary again is really kind of perking me up again so i guess thank you for that and thank um, you thank you buddy we'll uh we'll leave it there so like i mentioned um i've got a couple of um sort of solo podcasts coming up on a couple of topics uh close to me um the show must go on one all about um the sort of theater industry and what that means to me what sort of drama and acting means to me and how it must be sort of supported um, and then uh, the one I'm sort of looking forward to the most is the film school one. It's, it's a sort of crash course in what to expect at film school. Is it worth it? What I got up to whilst I was there and how I'm sort of at the stage I am now. So um, I guess that's all for today. So thanks for listening and I'm sure I'll, um, I'll see you soon.